Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Amazing. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series called At The Core. Uh, If you don't know what that means, we kind of had this idea that at the start of the year, we would do a seven week series called At The Core and we would kind of look at um, I guess the foundational things of our faith. Now, many of you who have been in Christian, uh, in a Christian for a long time, or maybe in church for a while, you would have heard many of these things. But because they're foundational, uh, I believe that you have to continue to revive them. I guess in your spirit, revive them in your mind, um, so that they can. T- continue to be foundational in your life. And so last week, Nick spoke about the church. What is the church? Why do we love the church? That we should continue to pray and speak well of the church because it is God's plan to reach the world. I saw that in Indonesia, faithful people, the church, what they've done. It is God's plan uh, to reach the world. And it's important that us as Christians, we have a love and an understanding for this community and the church and why it exists. And so if you didn't listen, uh, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to jump on uh, you know, YouTube, Spotify, whatever it is, and listen to Nick's message, the first one of the series uh, that is the church. Um, today, I want to speak about the Bible. I'm not going to, uh, well, I am going to read from the Bible, but I'm not, every week we preach from this book. Um, but this morning, I actually want to talk about the book. This morning, I want to uh, talk about what it is. I want to talk about what we believe about it. And then I want to give us a few, uh, I guess, insights on how we should start reading it um, as Christians. You might say, why? Why are we going to talk about the Bible? And the reason is, is because the God that we worship the God that we sing about, the God that we sing the songs to, the God that we put our faith in, the God that we have devoted our lives to is the God of the Bible. He's not the God of our imagination. He's not the God of our convenience. He's not the God of our uh, biases and human wisdom. He's not the God of those things. He is the God of the Bible. And so this morning, I want to briefly talk about the Bible because God is the God of the Bible. We serve a God who has chosen to reveal Himself through the written Scriptures. That is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to the world. The Bible is the covenant of God between man and God. It is His covenant. God has chosen to reveal Himself through the written Scriptures. We worship not the God of our imagination or our heart or the one that we've made up, but we worship the God of the Bible. He has chosen to reveal Himself through here. Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, is the ultimate representation and revelation of who God is. Jesus is God in flesh, God 100%, 100% man, 100% God. The Bible says that He is the visible image of the invisible God, which means He is our final revelation of who God is. You wanna know who, who God is? God is Jesus hanging on the cross. God is Jesus Christ crucified and then raised again for all mankind. This side of eternity, that is the fullness that God has chosen to reveal about Himself to you and I through Jesus Christ. But guess what? It's not the Jesus Christ of our imagination. It's not the Jesus Christ who we make up uh, through our experiences, but it's the Jesus Christ whose life, teachings, 
death and resurrection are all recorded in the Bible. Because we worship the Jesus and we sing songs to the Jesus of the Bible. Nothing else. God has chosen to reveal Himself through His written Word. Meaning this, that this, the Bible, is the only accurate knowledge we have of the God that we serve. I'll say it one more time. The Bible is the only accurate knowledge we have of the God that we serve. Otherwise, we run the danger of creating a God in our mind and in our heart, which by the way, the Bible says the heart is deceitful among all things. We decide to make up a, we could run the danger of making up a God in our mind and beginning to worship an idol we have made up in our mind and not actually the one true, real, living God of the Bible. My prayer is, and I hope it is yours too, if you're a Christian in this place, that I actually wanna know God. I wanna know Him. The real God, the one true and living God. I want to know the God that saved me. I want to know the God that I felt wrap His arms around me and say, I'm proud of you, my son, when I was 16 years of age, far from God, but He carried me home. I want to know that God. So do you know what my first question should be? Not what does Oprah say? Not what does the latest self-help book say? Not what does my parents say? Not does what does this person say on TikTok? Not what this person says on social media, but my Honest question, if we want to know God, the real, true and living God, our honest question should be, what does the Bible say? For we believe in the God of the Bible, not the God of our imagination, our heart made up anywhere else, whatever. We believe in the God of the Bible. All of our Christian experiences, encounters, wisdom and knowledge of God should be filtered through this. Should be filtered through this. And so I want to take a few moments to look at it a little uh, deeper this morning in the hopes that it would reinforce your understanding of it, but in the hopes that it would also spark uh, a passion in you to read it for yourself, to read it for yourself and to know the God that we sing about every Sunday more deeply and let Him be real to you. I want to answer three questions this morning. What is it? What do we believe about it? And how do we read it? And my prayer really is that it would spark a passion in you to read it for yourself and let it become, as Psalm says in Psalms 119, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path in an ever-increasing dark world. This is our guide. In this world, this is our guide. Not the latest psychology guru, not the latest whatever. As Christians, we believe in the God of the Bible. This should be be our guide, a lamp to our feet. Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said this, you can enter God's kingdom only through a narrow gate. This is a um, confronting scripture. You enter the kingdom of God only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and and the road is difficult and only a few ever Find it. In an ever confusing, darkened world, this is the lamp to our feet, the light to our path to continue to stay on the straight and narrow path that Jesus talks about. I believe that with my whole heart. And so this is of the utmost importance. It's our guide. 
This, the Word of God is our guide. It's our guide to heaven. It's our guide to God. It's our guide to Christianity. It's our guide to Jesus. It's our guide to life and life in its abundance. This is our, it's our guide. Um, so what is the Bible? And if you're new this morning, and maybe you're new to church, new to God, um, new to faith, uh, whatever you are, if you're, if you're new, um, in my attempt to give you a brief summary um, of this book, I could never do justice to the depth and the magnitude of the number one best-selling book of all time in just a few moments with you today. I, I, I never could. Not to mention the added, I guess, pressure of it being to those who believe um, the Word of God as well. I could never do it justice. And so if you're new, there's a lot more than what I'm going to say today. But I will say this, for thousands of years, uh, people have tried to come at the integrity and the authenticity and the accuracy of the Bible. And still to this day, there are no credible claims that could be made against it. It still stands here strong today. And so the question that we should be asking, a better question to ask rather than is the Bible true, a better question to ask is the God behind the Bible, who is he to you? Who is he to you? The story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, who is Jesus Christ to you is a better question that we should ask. And I'm going to read a lot because I want to get it right. But the Bible and its writings have been circulating for thousands of years. It's been the best-selling book in the world officially since September 21, 22, and still continues today. Uh, the Old Testament, uh, it's been translated, sorry, in full or in part into almost 3,000 languages. Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament was written in ancient Greek. Uh, the whole Bible has been translated to 704 languages. The New Testament has been translated to 2,255 languages. And that number increases every day. It is uh, restricted or illegal in 52 countries in the world. This Bible is illegal or restricted in 52 countries in the world, yet in all of those countries, they say it can still be found, which is crazy, right? Because millions of people read this every day. The issue is our experience of reading this isn't the same as everybody around the world's experience. We read this Bible every day. Maybe you read it around a coffee table with your coffee and your toast and you know, if you're under 30, you take a photo of that to put it on Instagram before that happened because if it doesn't go on Instagram, it didn't really happen. And so you can just spiritually gloat to all your friends that you're reading the Bible with toast, but really just flipped it open, took a photo, shut it and ate your toast. Um, but that's not all everyone's experience. There are some people around the world who read this Bible huddled, huddled in basements out of fear of their life because reading it uh, carries a death sentence. Um, and then others around the world stand in stadiums and proclaim it as loud as they can. I say all that to say, even just on a natural level, this is a pretty special book. Yeah. It must be a pretty special book. Time and time again, uh, it has come under attack for its reliability and its authenticity. Yet time and time again, uh, it passes the human, every human test we have for historical accuracy, reliability and integrity still stands here today. Just to give you an idea, there are three, um, and for some of you, this will bore you, but for some of you, you'll love it. But I promise there's a point at the end. Um, for historians, there's, there, there's actually three criteria they use to evaluate the reliability and histori- and, and hi- of a historical text. Um, and to decide how accurate and true they think it is. The first they look at is the number of manuscripts they have. So how many manuscripts, how many writings do they 
they have that are saying the same thing. The second thing they look at is the time between the first known writings and the actual event. And so if you uh, had someone who lived their life and then they died and then the stories were passed down to generations and then one great-great-grandchild decided to write down the stories of their great-great-grandfather so it could be passed on to future generations, then that would be the time gap between the events and the time the great-great-grandchild wrote it down. That would be a time gap. You were an Olympian, you won a gold medal. 25 years later, someone sits down with you and says, hey, tell me about winning the gold medal. You tell them, they write it down. Um, that year gap would be 25 years. Does that make sense? So they look at that. Obviously, the shorter, the more accurate um, they believe it to be. And the other one is the quality of the, the, the text, the condition. Uh, you know, what does it look like? Is it clear? Um, can we make out the words? Do we understand the language? All that stuff. So for instance, we have a very high degree, they would say a high degree of confidence that Julius Caesar conquered the city of Gaul when he was alive because they have 10 manuscripts of Caesar's uh, that, he, that says he conquered the city of Gaul. And uh, the date between the event and our earliest known writings is a thousand years, which in history is actually pretty good. Um, they have a high degree that there was a guy named Socrates, um, that he was a philosopher in ancient Greece. Uh, we know that he lived, we know what he taught, we know uh, how he died because we have seven manuscripts and it's 1,200 years between the events in the first writing. Um, the best of these, uh, these uh, ancient people is Homer. Um, not Homer Simpson from The Simpsons, but Homer. Uh, he was a writer. He wrote the, pol- the poem called The Iliad. I think in universities, in language and stuff, they still study that poem today. Uh, and we know that he did because we have 643 manuscripts and there's only 500 years between the, avi- the events and the first known manuscripts that we have. But all of these actually pale in comparison to the uh, writings of the New Testament of Jesus' life, the Gospels. Uh, we can have more than a high degree that Jesus came, lived, healed, taught, rose again and ascended into heaven. In fact, on our historical evaluation scale, he could very well be the most historically accurate account of anyone from the first century. Uh, and anyone who claims different really is just has to force themselves to believe that it's not true. Um, he could be the most accurate person from the first century because we don't have seven manuscripts, we don't have 10, we don't have 643, but we have over 24,000 manuscripts of the Gospels. Um, The gap between the events and the earliest intact Gospel we have is not 1,200 years, not 1,000 years, not 500, but only 25 years. And so within the same generation, the Bible has the highest possible historical degree of reliability and accuracy that historians have. And so the question is, Who is the God of the Bible to you? We all have to answer that as humanity. Who is Jesus to you? He could be, based on historians and how they do the text, he could be the most accurate person that we have from the first century. So who is he to you? The claims that he made. He made a very specific claim that he is God, that he has come to save the world. Who is he to you? The Bible is actually 66 books full of history, stories, poems, letters, eyewitness accounts. The Old Testament is essentially the Hebrew Bible about laws and ways to live for God's people at the time. History, books, poems, psalms, wisdom, literature, tell the story of God's people, as well as prophesying about the coming Christ. Uh, The New Testament is a collection of history accounts of Jesus and um, beginning with the church and, and letters and letters to, after the death of Jesus written to people, telling them about Jesus and, 
And some written to churches telling us the good news of Jesus and others were taught in synagogues and how we should live and treat other people. Um, and then they pulled them all together and canonized them. Um, all summed up, the Bible is the story of God. That is what the Bible is. The Bible altogether is the story of God and his pursuit for mankind. It is the story of God and his pursuit for you and I. This Bible, every book from page to thing points to Jesus, who is the final revelation of who God is. It is the story of God. And within the story of God, we find all the answers that we are looking for. All the answers that we are looking for. You know, we've become obsessed as humanity with asking the question, how? How did we get here? How does the body work? How should I eat? How should I dress? How should I do all this kind of stuff? And you know what? Humanity and science is actually really good at answering some of the hows. But it fails in, in like dismally in its attempt to answer the why. Why are we here? Why were you created? Which is in steps the Bible. You see, the Bible is not contrary to science. It was, it's actually complementary to science because it was written for a different reason. When science is trying to find out how, the Bible was written to explain to you why. Why you are here. You know why? Because the great claim of the Bible that God makes of Himself is that He understands the how better than anybody else in this entire world could understand the how. Why? Because His claim is that He created it all. He knows. You read Job. Job's asking all these questions and he just says, you weren't there when I hung the stars in the sky. You, you don't know these things. About. So God's great claim is that He knows all the how. And so the people say, why doesn't the Bible answer how we were here and how we got this and how this happened? How this? It's not because it's not written by that. God is the great and magnificent how. Because the self-proclaimed name of God is I am. They say, who are you? I am. I am that I am. That's God's answer for the how. I am. I am that I am. If God is who He says He is, then He is. So how was this created? And how did we come here? And how did we do this? And how? I am. He is. How is the Holy Spirit? I am. Every answer to how is answered in the self-proclaimed name of God, which is I am that I am. All through the Bible, He says, listen, I am who I am. But this book is here to tell you who you are. In comparison to me, this is who I am. I am that I am. God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who hung the stars in the sky, who planted every plant on the grounds, who created the beast in the field and the fish in the sea. I am who I am. But in comparison to me, this is who you are. Sons and daughters of mine, those who were created to be in relationship with me. God says through His Word that He is a community in and of Himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When He created mankind, He created us to be in community with Him where there was everything that you could ever need. Why were you created? You were created for life. How do we know that? Because the Bible says it. Have you ever just sat back on a beach and just relaxed and let everything slip out of your mind and all the stresses and all the worries of life and just lived for a moment and something inside of you just said, 
this is how it's supposed to be. Because you were created for life. Let me tell you something, if you don't know Jesus, add Jesus into that picture. You're sitting by the beach, you let everything go and you can feel the Creator of the universe in your heart and you say, this is why I was created, to be with my Creator. How do we know that? Because of the Bible. He says that you are created to be with Him in relationship with Him. What else does it say? It says that mankind rebelled against Him. Why? Because there was an enemy who came and says, did God really say all that? And can I tell you today, there's still an enemy today who looks at the Bible and comes to you and says, did God really say all that? He has no new tricks, the enemy. It's the same thing time and time and time again. Did God really say that? Yes, He did. Yes, He did. That mankind rebelled against Him, but in God's love and in His grace, He made a way for you and I to come back into our purpose, into our relationship. What was that way? That way has a name. His name is Jesus, God in flesh. God didn't leave us to our own devices. When you read about who God is, He's so big, so wise, so magnificent, so incredible, that if He wanted to, when we rebelled against Him, He could have wiped us all out. But in His grace... He clothed us. In His mercy, He let us live. And in His magnificent love, He sent Himself, wrapped Himself up for you and I so that we could come back into relationship with Him. You see, the Bible is the only book in the world that reads you when you read it. Because it's alive. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 12 to 13, it says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He is the one to whom we are accountable. This is the only book in the world because it is alive. It has been breathed on by God that when you read it, it reads you. We read it and we discover more about God. And as we do, we actually discover more about ourselves. Because as we read this, it begins to read you as well. So that's the Bible in a nutshell. And I can't do it justice to its entirety, but that's the Bible in a nutshell. But what do we believe about it? Well, first and foremost, like that scripture just said, we believe that it's the Word of God, that it's alive and that it's powerful. You know, there are 65,000 cross-references in the Bible to other verses in the Bible. That's alive. It's connected. It has a purpose. There's a story. There's a reason behind everything. It's connected to everything. It was designed. It was perfect. There's no mistake in it. It is perfect. It's alive. It's living. Not one stroke of the pen will will, uh, pass away because it was written by man. Now, hear me very clearly. God did not write the Bible. It was written by man, but it was inspired by God, which means this, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. Um, I think it should be on the screen. There it is. Um, All Scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired means breathed. So man wrote it and God breathed on it to bring it alive. Do you know what else He breathed on? You and I. We know that from, guess what? The Bible. 
He breathed on you and I. The Bible says that He took the dirt, He took the clay, He moulded it together and He breathed His Spirit into us. So if you wanna be like pumped up this morning, just know this, each and every one of us is simply inspired dirt. All of us. I mean, that'll make you feel good in the morning. But we are made from dirt. What makes you and I special is not us in and of ourselves, but is God. Because newsflash is always God. Why? Because He is that He is. I am that I am. And He breathed into the dirt and humanity was was created. And so you and I are inspired dirt. What are the words that we write on pages and books? They're nothing. The reason why this book is such a special book is because God has breathed on it. When He breathed on the dirt, it became alive. Humanity was alive. When He breathed on the words that the people wrote, it became alive again. So we believe that the Bible is alive. We also believe that as Christians, the Bible is our final authority. We believe that. It's our final authority. Like I said, we're not serving a God made up in our imaginations. We serve the God of the Bible. So it has to be our final authority because it says this, look, it is useful to teach us what is true. Don't we love that finding out the truth sometimes, as long as it aligns with our truth. But then what happens if the the truth that we find out doesn't allow align with our truth? Well, then here, he answers it in Nessa. And it makes us realise what is wrong in our lives. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. And especially in this day when they say, you know, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. That doesn't make any sense because truth has to be true. And if it's true, it has to be true for everyone. That actually doesn't make your truth is my truth, my truth. No, 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 the Bible, we believe the Bible is true. It's our ultimate authority, has to be. So this is true. So it says, you find out what's true, but be warned, you may realise realize what is wrong from what you believed because you read the Bible. It corrects us. Jeez, we don't like that word. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. As Christians or those who come and worship and you say, I worship the God of the Bible, then the Bible has the authority to do all of those things in our life. And it should. The Bible should hammer beliefs out of you that don't line up with God. Why? Because the Bible says that we have fallen away from God and become sinful, corrupt creatures. The Bible says that our hearts, everyone says, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that your heart can be deceitful among all else. The Bible says that your emotions are great indicators, but horrible leaders of your life. Let God be the leader of your life. If He is who He says He is, if He is who He says He is, if I am that I am, if God, that claim of God, the self-proclaimed name of God is true, then we can trust Him with our life. We can trust that His Word is better for us than anything that we could ever think, dream or imagine of how we should live our life. So we also believe this. That it is our number one way that we can hear from God. Every other way that we hear from God should be submitted to His written Word. It's the number one way we hear from the Word of God. Tingles in the Coles car park is great. A prophecy from Aunt Beth at the back of the foyer is amazing. Do you know what I mean? What your pastor says from stage can be cool sometimes. But all of it needs to be submitted 
to the Word of God because we do not serve the God of tingles in a car park or prophecies from Aunt Beth or the, or the words that come out of our pastor's mouth, but we serve the God of the Bible. And so we need to understand that we serve the God of the Bible and every other way, every other encounter and experience that we have needs to be filtered through the Word of God, lest we find ourselves off the narrow path. So it's important for us to understand because there is an enemy out there that is continuing to say, did God really say that? And as Christians, we need to come in faith and say, yes, he did. Cobes, you can come back up because I'm almost done. So the big question is, and I'll finish with this and then we'll pray and then we'll go and be in community with each other and it'll be awesome. But uh, how do we read it? That's like the number one question that people ask, new Christians will ask. How do we read the Bible? Because sometimes it's confusing and I do that thing where I just say, okay, God, and I flip to a random page and I start reading on the page and then it's talking about some blood sacrifice or something. I don't understand it. So like, like, how do I read it? This is my first tip. This is Mason's number one tip of reading the Bible. Just read it. Because most people are like, oh, how do I read it? How do I do this? But they're actually just not reading it. Read it. It's a pretty special book. Like if someone was like, this book has been the number one bestseller since 19, oh, 1522, September 21, 1522. You've got to read it. Like, Meh. At least try to read it. Why? Because it's been breathed on by God. And so you don't have to understand everything right away. Just read it because as you begin to read it, it will begin to speak to you and it will begin to read you and it will begin to illuminate things in you and begin to read it. So how do you read the Bible? You just read it. We live in a blessed country. We're taught to read at school. Just read it. And as you do, I promise you, I promise you, you make some big claims from saying, but I promise you it'll change your life. How do I know that? Because it's changed my life. It's changed my friends' lives. It's changed some of my family's lives. It's changed countless people around me. It's changed their life. Eventually, this word becomes like, like food to you. And you say, well, it's not like that for me yet. Well, it's kind of like, I think I've used this analogy before, but I love chips. Like hot chips, cold chips, potato chips, potato food in general, but chips. I love chips. The, the thing is, sometimes I don't feel like chips until someone offers me chips. And then when I have one chip, then I all of a sudden feel like chips. And I can have a whole bag, which by the way, the bag's getting smaller at Woolworths. How's that for ripping you off? But it does make me feel better about myself. But eventually I'll, you know, I'll start eating a thing. Next thing I know, I'll eat the whole bag. But before I wasn't hungry. But once I got a taste then I continue to be going more and more hungry. It's the same with the Word of God. Eventually it becomes like breath. Can't live without it. Why? Because it's His inspired Word of God. It's how we hear from Him. It's how we're close to Him. It's how we know who our Creator is. It is our foundation for all that we believe. And when you want to be close to God, sometimes you need to open this and just read it and feel His presence and let Him speak to you. Sometimes we're chasing these tingles at, at church services all around the thing. If only you knew if you opened this thing, He could be as close to you as wherever you are as He's let His words uh, 
affect your soul. Affect your soul. So just read it. Now I will give you some other advice for those of you who are a bit more mature in the faith. It does need a level of interpretation. That's why you might find it a little bit confusing because it was written thousands of years ago. For example, if I said, I proposed to my wife October 2000. No, I didn't. I proposed to my wife January 2014. No, 20, no, 14, 15. (laughs) And it was a piece of cake. You would all know what I was talking about, right? You propose, you're not sure on the date, but you propose to your wife and it was really easy for you. Someone 2000 years ago could read that and then all of a sudden be like, oh my God, this bloke married a piece of cake. <laughs> and so there is, there is a, a, a little bit of interpretation that needs to happen. But I will say this, people still laughing at the cake joke. I think people are just hungry. We're ready to go and get some food. But um, I will say this, trust the interpreters. They're a lot smarter than us. They've interpreted it into English. There's many translations. If you don't like one, just go to another one uh, and keep reading it. Read multiple of them and you'll get an idea. But I'd say for a starting point, trust the interpreters. They're a lot smarter than us and we can read it at face value. Um, Here's a couple of things. It has history in it, Right? So does God approve of everything that has happened in history? It's not a trick question. No, He does not. (laughs) We live in a corrupted, sinful world. But it's in history. People go, oh, well, that's in that book. How does God approve? It's It's history. God doesn't approve of all history, but it's in there so we know what has happened. There's also uh, poems and stories in it. Um, Do poems and stories have to be scientifically accurate? In the Song of Solomon, it says she was so beautiful. She had a neck as tall as a tower and a nose as tall as a tree. People say, ha, the Bible's false. Think it's true. How could they possibly be as tall as a neck and a nose be as big as a tree and still be beautiful? That's not the point. It's a story. It's a poem. So there's stories and there's poems in there. There's also authentic expression in there. People have wrote some things in there. Some of them are pretty confronting. People read that and go, how could God be for that? It's not that God's for that. It's that God is okay with our authentic expression of the writers. Why would God breathe on that? Because He's okay with how you feel. You can come to Him. It's actually a great encouragement that we can come to God with our feelings, with our issues, with our problems. And He's big enough to handle them. He's big enough to know them. There's also letters in there about how people should structure their church and at the time and testimonies about Jesus and what He did and what He taught. And so I would say this, do it with the Spirit of God. You've been given the Spirit of God to help you. And so read with the Spirit of God. Ask the Spirit of God to help you understand it. There are a bunch of apps and stuff that can help you um, with all of that. And I would say this, talk about it with others. Ask questions to help you understand. It is the number one way that we hear from God. And so my challenge to you this morning is that would you make a commitment if we're talking about at the core of our faith and the foundations of our faith, would you make a commitment if you don't read the Bible to start? Because it will change your life. It will change your relationship with God. Let Let it convict you. Let it teach you. 
Let it show you what is right and wrong. And I promise you, it will become like food and like breath to you as it guides you on the path and your journey that you are walking. Last thing I'll say is this. At the start, it said, if you didn't know Jesus, it's pretty easy. The Bible simply says this, that all those who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. What does saved mean? Well, we know from the Bible, like what Jesus said, that we are going to a lost eternity. That means an eternity without God because we have rejected and rebelled. That's the path that we are on. Jesus stands in the middle of the path and says, I have a way for you to come back into everlasting life again, life and life in its abundance. And all you have to do is call upon my name. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, it's not because you deserve it or because you've earned it or you could do anything. It's simply an act of faith to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're real, I'm giving my life over to you. I'm calling upon your name. And if that's you this morning, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. When I was 16 years of age, the pastor stood on stage and just said, quickly slip up your hand and then we'll pray for you. I'm gonna give you that same opportunity today, just in case there's anyone here. So if everyone could just close their eyes, just for privacy in the room. And if there's anyone here who just is saying, yeah, I wanna call upon the name of the Lord. God, if you're real, I want to get to know you. Then on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up real quick and slip it down. We're going to pray a prayer. And then we're going to pray for the whole church. And then I'm going to get Britt back up. She's got a few announcements and then we'll go and hang out. But if you're here, you want to call upon the name of the Lord. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to say, Jesus, if you are real, I'm coming back to you. Maybe you're here and you, you know, have been a Christian. Maybe you've walked away and you want to come into a repentant mindset and God and say, God, I am sorry. I'm coming back to you and you want me to include you in your pra- in the prayer as well. Then in, on the count of three, would you slip your hand up as well? Um, if you're here, would you slip your hand up? One, two, three. There's anyone here? Amazing. Amazing. See that hand. See those hands. Thanks. Amazing. See that hand over the side. Thank you. Is there anyone else here? We'll just give it a few moments because you're worth it. If there's anyone else here? Amazing. I see that hand at the back. I see that other hand at the back. Thank you. Amazing. Well, let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you lifted up your hand to respond to Jesus, as I pray this prayer, would you just ask Him, Jesus, I'm coming to You. Would You reveal Yourself to me in a new and in a fresh way? Let me pray for You, church. Lord, I just thank You so much for every single person that lifted up their hands, Lord God, from the front to the back, Jesus. I pray right now that You would reveal Yourself to them by Your Spirit in a very real and living way. Father, we repent for where we've gone wrong, Lord God. We change our mindset on the way that we've been living and we hand our lives over to You afresh today. Lord, we pray. Lord, for every single person that opened their hearts, would You just reveal Your love, Your grace, Your kindness and Your life to them again. Lord, we love You and we worship You and we thank You that there are people in this room whose lives are never gonna be the same again. Lord, I pray for all of us who profess to have faith in the God of the Bible. Lord, would You stir a passion inside of us for Your Word for the Bible, would we make a commitment now to begin to read Your Word, to let it be the lamp to our feet and a guide to our path. Jesus, we love You and we need You. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we enter into Your Word this week, that You would speak to us through it. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.